So one of them costs us a thousand based on, hey, he's got some skill. I think we can develop some physical features to improve that talent base where the other guy had really good talent. Man, the only thing we can do is develop skill. That talent's got to go somewhere. Talent has a shelf life. Skill's going to be around is a kind of a easy way I like to look at it. And those are the guys you you know you gotta you gotta really hope they get enough game reps, which you can't guarantee. Hey, this is More Than Velocity. I'm Bart Pear here with Ryan Croton and Jordan Oseguera, and today we're talking about. Uh, Scouts, pro scouts, college scouts, what do they want to see uh, in a player? What are they looking for um, to give you money, to give you scholarships, uh, those type of things? We've, we've kind of mentioned this a little bit um, in some of our quick pitches, um, but we wanted to get a little more detail and cover um, cover the topic a, a little better, uh, especially around the pro scout. Um, you know, What are they looking for for high school athletes, college athletes as well? So let's get started. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to kick it over to you. Yeah, I mean, I can just explain kind of from my perspective, I was responsible for looking at athleticism. And then I also collaborated with Jordan on evaluating biomechanics and really determining what type of movements are, you know, very trainable in an athlete. And, um, and then, you know, what's their raw characteristics. So looking at uh, their core function, how well they can jump. So their lower, lower body power. Um, their acceleration capacity as a pitcher. Um, and uh, I also looked at questionnaire data. So, you know, some of the athletes that are out there um, that are, you know, being asked questions by major league teams, they, sh- they really need to think hard about what they're putting down there um, to represent, you know, things like their habits, their preparation. You know, all of those things are, are key elements that at least I looked at to consider an athlete's future performance. So, and I can get into those details, you know, later, but I'll let Jordan kind of communicate, you know, his background. Obviously did a lot of work with Ryan through the draft, just like he pointed out there and communicating with scouts and, you know, different things like that. Uh, One of my main duties was kind of overlooking the uh, biomechanics of those guys from a coaching lens. Uh, you know, what Ryan was talking about there, what's what's fixable, what's not fixable. Um, what is the easiest fix in this athlete and what do we really want to improve with them as well as monitoring those pitch uh, movement shapes, kind of those uh, predictive statistics that uh, some people paying attention to the right things of how the player's performing. Cool. Why don't we start... Um, with something we touched on before, and that's, uh, you know, and obviously this is where the name of the, the podcast from comes from. It's more than velocity. Let's let's talk about some of those other things, like like doing the basics better. Um, let's elaborate there, Jordan. So from a scouting standpoint of it, it's definitely more than velocity. A hundred percent of those early rounders, yeah, they're going to be thrown with some velocity when it comes down to it. But you start seeing these guys, especially later on in the draft, you know, rounds 10 and on. Obviously, they've changed the structure this year to where you see, well, that kid was throwing 86 in high school. Why did they sign him in the 15th round? Well, he was doing things that projected that the velocity will show up. And then he does some of those things that that organization specifically may go, well, we don't teach these aspects well. 
but we know we can get this guy throwing harder. So we're going to take the things that, you know, the more than velocity aspect of it to where maybe we don't teach curveballs real well, but this guy really spins a breaking ball and we know we can add that velo to it. So they're, they're looking at what they know they can develop and they're building that in with what that player's tool set already is. Um, I don't know if I answered the question. I'm trying to get as direct on it as I can without being overly broad or overly specific for the, for the purpose of it. Well, I mean, I know we talked about before and not just pitchers, but you know, just covering your area. If you're, you know, fielding and doing the, doing the basics better, just, just making sure that it's not the, um, you know, it, it's not the ESPN sports center highlights that you guys are recruiting for. It's the, uh, it's the stuff you can count on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that goes into another whole realm of, you know, when you're, when you're looking at those players, you look at skill versus talent a lot of those times. And skill is just your ability to perform consistently at what your task is. So if you're a shortstop, that's handling that three to five step range around you. If you're a pitcher, skill is your ability to locate, you know, three pitches or four pitches to both sides of the plate, maybe top and bottom of the zone as well, depending on what that skill set is. Uh, so the better you can perform those basics, the more you're going to be able to to fit an organizational structure better. Um, most of the time, those guys that are going early are really highly skilled and highly talented. As you get further on into the draft, you might have guys that are high skill where they're hoping, hey, maybe we can fix, and this is where Ryan came in a lot, maybe we can fix or improve some type of physical characteristic to enhance that skill with some extra velo or exit extra exit velocity or more sprint speed, whatever that may be. Or maybe it's a guy who has a whole lot of talent tool base and now we got to teach him some type of skill. Uh, so those are some of the cool things that go along with that in terms of doing basic better is the better someone does the basics, it's easy to build around that guy. On the training side of things, um, you know, when I look at just starting from scratch, and looking at the questionnaires, I evaluate how are they preparing themselves. So, for example, um, some pitchers may not have a solid dynamic warm-up when asked to, you know, list the certain aspects that they require in, in preparing for a game. Um, sometimes athletes aren't using any kind of loaded activity using bands um, or plyo care balls to uh, potentiate or get the the throwing arm primed, and so it's you know, some of those things, if they have, you know, great skill and they're missing some of these basics, you know, I can forecast what they do really well. And, you know, with our encouragement and our education, you know, what could be the potential ceiling with things like that? You know, their training age is also important. You know, do they have a basic level of, of fitness? You know, sometimes you'll get a college guy who has, you know, a, a a very long history of training. Sometimes I've seen some that have had 10 years of, of a training age. They've been training for 10 years and they're unable to jump more than 27 inches, you know, and they're already, you know, 215 pounds and they're, they're, they're a large athlete. So they're getting close to their genetic limits. So that makes things a little more challenging. So, so sometimes, um, you know, if the athlete has a, a certain grasp of training, um, we can expand upon it. And for the, the listeners that are out there that, you know, the young athletes that have young athletes that don't have a great training age, maybe they've only been training for a couple of years. That's also great too. Cause again, that allows us 
as a staff to know in our system, you know, we can expand these, these training qualities for them. You know, we can put 20 pounds on this athlete that is going to translate into velocity. You know, lean mass development is a huge component, but we have to also see, you know, what's this athlete's nutrition habits like? Um, and, and they, you know, in our questionnaire, when I was, when I was with the angels, we asked, you know, certain questions about those, those habits. Um, and it allowed us to factor in, you know, what, what can be done with this athlete and how far can they go? So, yeah, that, that goes along the lines of durability and, uh, and obviously you're, you're projecting potential performance, but uh, you know, a lot of that is also around endurance and the increased workloads of taking a step to the next level and how, how do you evaluate, can they handle what a, what a professional, you know, baseball player needs to be able to handle day in and day out? Um, you know, what, what are you guys doing to evaluate that? Yeah. I mean, usually what happens is the scouts, um, in particular, they'll be taking game logs and they'll be, you know, evaluating their velocity to see if it sustains. Um, you get some different guys. I, I know even in the pro level, when we look at certain players, they would start out throwing really hard. And then, you know, after about 60 pitches, it would start to come down. And then you see some other players that start out really, really light on their velocity and they, it escalates further in the games. Um, but we, for those components, we really have to rely on the scouting details. Um, you know, I'm thinking of our app, this, when I've seen the, the beginnings of our app before I entered the company, I thought about how could our app, uh, advance the scouting component. And I really think that it should be a part of a team's internal draft camp battery where they can evaluate the strength features of the athlete and understand, you know, does this athlete have the requisite strength to be in? endured you know um so i think the game is going to go along to a, a more objective means of evaluating strength but right now it's it's been mostly from velocity records yeah and on my end i would look a lot at obviously those movement characteristics if we're looking at a starting pitcher i want to know how they maintain their their biomechanics from pitch one to whatever that last pitch is and then I want to know, if, is there variation from, you know, outing to outing or month to month? And you can go a really deep dive on that, depending on where you're valuing that player in the draft, obviously. And then from there, a lot of those major schools now are getting TrackMan units. They're getting those things to where you can go deeper into that information. And yeah, there's going to be calibration errors. I know people are going to be talking about the calibration errors from this school to that school. But you're going to be able to see consistencies if you're pulling from those same you know, home games that you're getting data from. And all of a sudden you can see innings one through three, he's maintaining X velo and X pitch shape. All of a sudden it drops off in innings four and five. But then anytime he gets into the sixth or the seventh or the eighth and he's pitching deeper, sometimes they uptick. And those are the guys you really start to go, okay, there's something here where this guy's getting that, you know, whatever, the second wind or whatever you want to call it, uh, that's being shown over that large sample. And, you know, that's why we like this. Or yeah, there's I, a guy – oh, go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. You go ahead. Sorry. Cut you off. But the other thing I was going to say is you also have the other guys that, well, why does he take until the third inning to get cooking? Why is it that all of a sudden, like even if he's maintaining his velo, say this guy's 92.7 on the fastball and 84.6 on a slider and you know 83 on a changeup. We're just throwing some random numbers out. But let's say all of a sudden he adds on an inch and a half of induced in the third inning for the fastball – 
you know, adds two inches of depth to the to the to the slider, or two inches of sweep to the slider, and then all of a sudden he's getting more horizontal on the changeup in the third inning. Like, what was the difference that that's a consistent factor for that guy? So now we can start digging into that on the fine level. Kind of, I always talk, you know, I like the thirty thousand foot view, and then once you get that thirty thousand foot view, you go. That's where I need to start diving in more. I think there's gold there. And then you can start digging into those areas. And then you get with your performance staff, you know, and you go, hey, guy with the PhD, help me figure this out as to why he's changing these things. What's different from a strength standpoint? What's different from the endurance standpoint? And how do we train this to now, instead of it being innings one through three and then seven and eight, how do we do this to make it one all the way through inning eight? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's amazing in terms of what's available in scouting now. There are a lot of teams that have um, a predictive engine where a lot of data goes in and it spits out a, a rating for a particular athlete. But one of the things I really enjoyed working with Jordan, Jordan is meticulous about digitizing movement. So in the world of biomechanics, it's, it's kind of an old school method to identify where joints are and measure angles um, at certain points in the delivery. And so one of the things, because I didn't have a good understanding of strength based on uh, the measurements that we had taken, and we had great speed uh, ideas with our, our testing and um, lower body power uh, with jump, various jump tests and core function with various med ball tests, but we didn't have any under indication of strength. And one of the things that Jordan would measure would be the lead knee uh, flexion. And a lot of the, the athletes that we realized, you know, might not have the great endurance data um, in terms of sustaining velocity. But when you looked at their biomechanics, you would see that from foot contact to ball release, their knees would actually start to flex. You know, some of them not as pronounced as others, but we would be able to see, you know, does this athlete post or, or have a great lead leg block? So meaning that the leg is in further extension. Um, it doesn't have a huge amount of range of motion change, so it's really stable when you're measuring these things. Um, but it definitely doesn't flex because if you're starting to see a lot of flexion in a pitching delivery, there's some strength issues there. So that was that was one thing that you know I'd like to tell uh, the the audience that we have is that you know lower body strength. There are people looking at these things. You know, biomechanics is getting even greater. It's getting more portable, easier to evaluate. Um, so, you know, getting a basis of training in that particular feature could really affect um, your, your future outlook, you know, as far as having someone like myself who evaluates movement um, and athleticism. And, and it's happening. You know, the game also has something called the, the MLB PDP pipeline, um, the player development pipeline that developed a whole bunch of battery of tests now. So there's a combine. This is becoming a brand new thing. Uh, in Major League Baseball, but we've we've been doing this for a while. Um, so, you know, the, the baseball players out there, you, you got to become an athlete. You know, being an athlete is really important, and it, it does show up in your movement properties. Yeah, and just to give some real-world examples to that, and these are things, that, you know, Ryan, you were there for those. I remember we had a guy come through. It was in the third round, a high school kid. He was 17 at the time, obviously draft eligible. And there was a specific asking price. And, you know, I went through this guy's delivery. You went through it. We looked through the strength numbers. We had him at all of our stuff. He kind of, we, we didn't really expect him to get much better, you know. And for that asking price of what a high school kid wanted in that round, 
wasn't really a good good thought or an investment. And I remember we passed on him, and everyone was going like, "Oh my gosh, like this kid's really good." You know, I won't use names. All of a sudden, he signs with X team in Arizona, has a great first year. All of a sudden, that second year, he goes back. He's velos down, commands down. And that was the other thing too is like we don't we think this guy's at the pinnacle of where he's going to be and you're not always going to be right. We ended up being right on this one. His performance regressed. So he was, you know, 96, 98, all of a sudden he's, you know, 90 94, 96, then he's 92, 94, and now he's, you know, last I saw he's you know sitting in that low 90 range, you know, high 80s, low 90s right in there and all the stuff's regressing, not as many strikes. And then on the other hand, we had a we had a guy we took this was in the 36th round, you know, 37th round, somewhere in there. And I remember getting scout, scouts texting me from other organizations going, I don't even understand this in, in the 36th, 37th round. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, there's there's guys that are more projectable. He's pitching in the big leagues right now, you know, and he's doing really well. And he's, you know, occasionally hitting 100 miles an hour. And we signed him at 88 to 92 um is a senior in college so you know there's things that we're looking at those are those mechanical tells that we're well, let's looking get into let's have. get into some specifics if you can i mean what why did you think that one guy had peaked and and lacked potential there and why was this other guy you're essentially saying a diamond in the rough he had a lot more potential yeah so from the peaked standpoint is you're looking at this guy i think his body fat was like eight and a half percent, which is, you know, for a baseball player, extremely good. Yes. Six foot four, six foot five. Man, I think he was like 225. He was a, a large human being, to say the least, you know, like put together really well. You know, you know, high velo, fantastic mechanics. You know, the jump measures we had on him were better than a lot of the guys we had in the big leagues. Uh, his sprint measures, there was everything on here was like, wow, this is like as good as we could. If you're going to go to MLB PlayStation, what is it? The show or something like that and create a player like that's your create a player. But in the real world, it's like some people are early blossomers and this guy was probably just an early, he bloomed early, you know, like the, the risk of him, like, unless he's getting to the big leagues tomorrow, which talent wise kid could go pitch in the big leagues skill wise. He was not ready. And that's where we get into what we're looking at in that scouting side. Your, your first rounders, talent and skill match up. Those guys get to the big leagues really quick. You're banking on that guy ready to go as quickly as possible. On the other end of it, you know you don't want to invest that big money into a guy who's got huge talent, low skill. You can save a little bit there. Um, but then the other guy we're looking at, what we saw was he understood what he was doing between the lines. Like he was trying to throw split fingers at the right time. He was trying to use his pitches at the right time, but he had some strength imbalances where he would land. You'd see a little bit of instability in that lower half. Occasionally he'd flash some really good stuff with that delivery, but you could just look at it and go, man, this guy, like we don't need to add, add weight to him. We'd have to add strength. There's been something that he's been doing that hasn't been good enough to balance out his body to utilize a consistent movement pattern. You know, he, he was with us in, in rookie ball. All of a sudden, he starts going from 88, 92 to, you know, his, he starts topping at 94, 95 on occasion. And then he comes back. He buys into the system. He does everything. The performance staff asks. We didn't need to do anything on a pitching side of it. 
we we knew the movement qualities were there. We just needed the consistency and the strength to repeat that. Next thing you know, he comes back. He's pitching in low A, dominating out of the starting role, cuts up to to high A almost instantly. Gets to double A that year, you know, finishes in double A, has to go back and repeat level, gets to triple A, you know, and, you know, he's, he's pitching in the big leagues for two or three organizations now. And I think he was $1,000 is what his draft price ticket was, you know, to where if we would have taken that other guy who hasn't gotten out of, I think it's either high or double A at this point, and it's been four years later, that would have cost us, you know, in at least in the six figure, almost seven figure range for that particular player. So one of them costs us a thousand, based on, hey, he's got some skill. I think we can develop some physical features to improve that talent base. Where the other guy had really good talent, man, the only thing we can do is develop skill. That talent's got to go somewhere. Talent has a shelf life. Skill's going to be around is a kind of a easy way I like to look at it. And those are the guys you you know you gotta you gotta really hope they get enough game reps, which you can't guarantee. But you can guarantee you're going to get reps on on the the sprints. You can guarantee you're going to get reps on the squat rack. You're going to get reps on whatever those you know things where you're push pow off presses. You know you can tell I love the weight room, uh, <laughs> but you know you can guarantee that stuff. You can't guarantee the guy's going to be able to get between the lines. So yeah. go ahead. Brian. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say you know some other things because you, you asked for some other specifics. You know, one of the things that I would see in a very projectable athlete, and I actually give want to give credit to Jordan um, because we didn't have a 3D motion capture system, but high speed camera. So slow motion video, when you watch rotation, you know, a lot of these real high level performers in future, they know how to decelerate. A lot of athletes can accelerate themselves. They, they have great rotational speed towards home plate. But the whole the whole key between the really good pitchers and, and elite pitchers is they know how to stop. Their pelvis has they have great braking capacity. They can stop at the right time and they sequence well. And their energy doesn't over rotate. They they're really on line with the plate. Um, and that's just that's something you can see from from a the the head on camera angle. You know, and that's important in scouting and, you know, coaching that are out there, coaches are out there, even parents, if they're taking video of their kids um, pitching, you need to have a few different perspectives and, and, and give it to someone who's high quality because the things that the coach may be seeing are the things that the scouts are going to definitely see. You know, you got in that draft room, um, at least we had a big, big crew. I think we probably had about 100 people in there, scouts from all over the country, you know, performance specialists, analysts, uh, obviously the front office, big draft board, you know, people making notes on all the guys, giving certain symbols of, you know, we, I would go in, put on who would be a plus athlete in the draft. Um, you know, particularly in the later rounds, we'd find some guys that we thought were more coachable um, that had the physical resources. So I, I think it's important too to, to really understand your movement as an athlete and some of the young kids, they might not really even been seeing video of themselves, you know? Um, so I, I think that's an important component too, to uh, evaluating and, and improving your projectability of, as an athlete. And just on another side, I always get the question, like, should you take a, a high school pitcher in the first round or a college pitcher in the first round? It kind of depends on the team, but 
Jordan and I are doing some research right now, and we've seen in the in the most recent draft to have you know guys enter the major league. So we took data from 2005 to 2015 that now we're it's at least seven years that there should be some guys in the big leagues um, from that draft. It doesn't really matter in the in the early rounds um, for for the WAR rating, which is the wins above replacement. It's the it's the metric that people use to evaluate talent um, at the big league level. That it doesn't really matter. So you know some of these some of these people out here, like we we need to understand um, the movement qualities, the physical qualities. I think those things, rather than looking at the education level, whether it's a four-year athlete, a junior college, or a high school. Um, is going to matter. So got, we got to take care of it. You, you got to definitely know how you're moving, talk to coaches, and train. You can uh, feel free to just tell me that I'm obviously completely wrong here. Um, but there's always this – it's every single person. You hear it all the time. You never take a high school pitcher as you're in the first, one, in the first round. You never do it. Why? That guy told me so. Yeah. Well, what do you like? What do you mean that guy told you so? Well, he's been in the in the game for you know thirty five years. Okay, so there's plenty of teams that have taken a high school pitcher with the first pick that have done pretty well, you know. And there's also plenty that have done poorly. And instead of just looking at this in a vacuum of well, that pick correlates to that. There's so much that goes into it. Well, what was the development strategy? Where was this player at in terms of skill and understanding what he, what were his lifestyle factors? Was this player really bought into playing baseball? There's so many things that go into it that it almost turns into this anecdotal, you know, people are just like relying on, you know, throwing throwing the dice and going like, man, if I roll a seven or higher, I'm I'm taking the guy in the sense is the way that it almost sounds like. I know that's not what's going on. Um but there's, there's too much anecdote going on with it. And that's the big question I think people need to ask is why is it better to pass on that same high school player and then after he graduates, I'll just throw a school out there because a lot of guys pass on him. And then once he graduates, he gets through his senior or junior year at Vanderbilt. Now we'll pay him a ton of money. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's one of those things like why was that a safe bet now all of a sudden that we have three years of hindsight, but now we're going to pay more than we would have if we would have just drafted him in the 10th round. Um, so why is it that the, the college system is the safer bet for quote unquote developing the guy as opposed to rookie ball? I don't know if you have any insights on that yeah, or I mean, yeah, I, I am I crazy? Know, I, Tell me if I'm crazy with what I just, did I make any sense there? No, I was it's rambling. It, it, it's a confusing aspect um, about the draft. And, you know, for me, I always think about how do we how do we get a player to ha- develop professional habits? And I'm not saying that doesn't happen in college. I'm sure it does. Um, but getting them inside the walls of a professional team and understanding the rigors of professional baseball and, you know, they're being paid to play. Um, and the, the other thing is that, you know, major league teams, they're even more strict than uh, Little League. When it comes to pitch counts and workload, the management of the player is a lot more stringent, and uh, there, there's an opportunity to keep the athlete healthier longer. And um, they're very—I find the young athlete, you know—they're they're very mobile by comparison to a college player. The college player sometimes guys that um, 
they, they don't have the, the range of motion or flexibility. Um, and you're working a lot harder to restore those features where the high school player at times can, can be incredibly moldable. And, in and, in, and in sometimes you get a college player, you know, who might be an early rounder and you, you stay away from them a little bit to see what is their habits and what do they do. You don't really want to get too involved in, in making changes, especially right away in the beginnings of their career in professional baseball. Um, and, and that also happens with a high school player. But I, I always find, in my experience, the high school player is very eager to adjust. They take information a little bit easier um, and uh, they're adaptable. So, you know, it's, it's a, a really weird thing for me. Um, how people view the four-year college pitcher or the high school pitcher, you know, as far as in the early draft rounds. Do you think it's fair to say everyone goes, oh, man, that was just a bad draft pick. That high school pitcher didn't make it. It's just a bad draft pick. So he gets paid, you know, seven figures, and you're telling me that this pitcher pulled the wool over the owner's eyes he pulled the wool over the GM's eyes, over the assistant GM, over the president of baseball operations, over the scouting director, over the area scout, over the regional scout, over the international scout, over the performance scientist, over the analytics department. This guy's just, you know, secret agent and just fooled everyone. Or do you think it's more realistic to go, maybe we need to evaluate our development practices? Yeah. Why did this player not matriculate? Because there's no way that he just pulled the wool over MLB pipelines eyes, over you know perfect game evaluations eyes, over every single person who went and watched this guy play. And they're like, man, this he he's fantastic. And then he gets into Pro Bowl and it's like, ah, it's just a bad draft pick. Instead of going, hey, what did we? Where can we take some ownership in this and say, how did we? How do we need to improve as developers? Yeah, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head that I think doesn't happen as often, but it's starting to, is that the player development staff are also becoming more involved in the draft process. So I really think good teams, they, they have to know who they are. So for instance, one of the things that I would do is I would audit our strength and conditioning programs because I was directing them. I would want to know what, what are we good at? What are we not good at? How slow are the... Uh, the gains to be made in certain athletic features. And then I would be able to determine, you know, if an athlete didn't have certain qualities, but were really good at coaching, you know, and they might not have quite the, the skill side, but people like the player, we would know that this is somebody we could have success with, you know, and I think on the pitching side, like if, if you don't develop breaking balls well, you know, and you're really good at developing the heater, um, and, and getting induced vertical break and, and the things that you need for them to be successful. Like, I, I think you would be wanting to find some pitchers, you know, that have good breaking balls, because that, that's something that you, you might not necessarily teach well, um, but you can advance their velocity. So um, you, you really have to do an audit of, of who you are, I think, on the player development side, and they have to talk to the scouts. There, there are a few organizations that do that. And you know, I have some buddies that work with those with those with those organizations, and that's the big thing. As they said, is they go, you know, this is what we know we have a good handle on coaching. So we're going to draft guys that you know we don't. Just as an example, say we don't teach fastballs well. We're going to draft guys that throw hard and can ride a fastball. 
but mm-hmm. we know we can teach a changeup. So we're going to get really good fastballs. We're going to get really good breaking balls, and we'll teach this guy a changeup. And that's how they do it. And you see the success of these particular organizations in terms of you know, generating internal starting pitching or internal relievers, whatever their model is. There's no wrong answer for that. I personally like starters, but there's no wrong answer. And they're really good at what they do because they know what they're bad at. And I think where you run into issues is a lot of people, and I think this is just the culture in general, no one wants to be told what they're bad at. Everyone wants to know what they're good at. So unless you really know what it is you need help with, you can't go get that help. Yeah, I think, too, for for players, I mean, this is great that, that we're talking about this. This is called, like, the, the humility process. It's insight. You know? Yeah, and, and being able to be a good self-evaluator. I mean, we give, with our platform, we give data to tell you where you are. You know, you're ranked uh, according to, you know, your your age level and competitive level. Um, to see where you you're at, but you need that feedback. You know, you, you you can't be blind to to not knowing where you need to improve upon. Um, you need to have a strength weaknesses analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, sometimes, you know, if you if you focus too much on the on the weakness, you start to lessen the effectiveness of your strength. So um, it, it takes a really good coach to understand how to allocate time to to what feature. Um, you know, for me there, for an older athlete, an MLB athlete who, you know, really is at a high level of strength. Um, there was a one particular player that I think could have played in the NFL. He was a pitcher that we worked with. He was phenomenal. Um, but you know, doesn't matter if he squats 650 pounds anymore, or he gets up to a thousand and the bars bending on his back. No, this athlete needs more elastic resources. We need to do more explosive work, lighter work, dynamic work. So you have to understand, I wasn't going to work too much in our programs on this this kid's strength. His, his Not as a pun, but like he had huge amounts of max strength that we needed to focus a little bit more on the elasticity component. You know, how quick can he can contract? How well can he jump? How well can he uh, land and absorb? So, um, you know, that those are all important things. I think athletes need to understand and coaches too. You know, it's, it's good for a coach to know, you know, where, where are my weaknesses? You know, um, some of those coaches out there, I know I just read a study and I'd love to be able to have another talk about it. Um, but there are a lot of coaches that don't really have a great concept of arm care, you know, and that's okay. They, they might not really know. They might be a pitching coach and they, they might not have done it themselves. They might not have an experience with it. They might have been given a program online that they follow. Um, and there's resources for you. You know, obviously we have a resource for that. But that's important as a coach to know where are my blind spots and, and to be okay with it. So, and you can educate me here. So you've talked about coaches need to know where their strengths and weaknesses are the actual organizations need to know where their strengths and weaknesses are. It would make perfect sense that a player needs to know where their strengths and weaknesses are, and then they need to be asking the right questions of the coaches and those organizations saying, can you help me with my weak areas going forward? Correct? Yes. Yes. I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head, and Jordan and I have talked all the time, and it's a shame sometimes in professional baseball that um, the data – so if you can imagine going to school and not getting a report card to know how well you are doing in math, science, 
geography, all these different subjects, it happens in pro ball. You know, sometimes we, we are afraid to scare the horses. You know, that's what happens sometimes is that there's a lot of information that's withheld from the player. So they actually may not be aware of where they rank in certain features. You know, they, they might not know so much in terms of the deeper statistics that a team is taking on them. And, and I, I believe that hurts a player. I believe coaches, um, you want to prepare your athletes for the draft. You know, you have to prepare them to understand data. You know, if you're taking in, it doesn't it doesn't matter what kind of data you might be taking in. You know, we're we're developing a pitch chart. You know, that that will have some information for uh, the pitchers out there, but they should be aware because this is how they're evaluated. You know, they need to know what do I need to do to advance. You know, that that to me is a it's a key component of any type of success, whether it's in business or whether it's in, you know, uh, sport, you, you need to know the benchmarks. You need to know what is considered good and what is considered below average. And there has to be a plan based on those outcomes and getting the athlete to where they need to be, in my opinion. I mean, just imagine taking a chemistry class and they said you're not allowed to use the periodic table of elements. It's yeah. the same thing as like, well, this is what chemistry is, right? Yeah, it is. This is how you're evaluated is your ability to use the periodic table of elements, but you're not allowed specifically to even see it. You know it's there, but you can't see it. It's like, well, how am I supposed to pass this class, you know? And that's how a lot of it is, is they're worried about giving too much information. And like I said, they don't want to scare the horses. But yeah. then the, the horses just end up confused. And, you know, I do a lot of hunting. I it's it's really outside of baseball it's the next best thing that i i can find to do with my time and you know i i i take my dog i train my dog and you can see if you don't give your dog enough information when you're training him you give him a command he doesn't know what to do but then you can't be surprised when the dog doesn't know what to do if you didn't give him the information leading up to that and it's the same thing with player development it's the same thing with taking a class you can't expect to ace the final if you haven't gotten through the midterm yet you gotta go through the steps those steps are different for everyone when it comes to learning and that's what you know we need to understand is some players need more info some players need less not everyone's at the same place and if a player asks why you should be you know flatter is a coach that player's coming to you and asking well why are we doing this what does this mean how do we get better at this you shouldn't take it as an offense as you're being challenged. You should take that as, hey, this guy's asking. He's making me learn as a coach as well. We should be very flattered by that. So uh, we, we spent a lot talking about the pro scout and what they want to see. How does it vary for a college scout? What are, how does their lens when they're evaluating these players um, differ? You want, you want to jump on that first or me, Ryan? I mean, so my my college coaching, it was very limited to being a grad assistant first base coach. So I didn't really go on the recruiting side of things um, that I think Jordan would probably be, you know, better at. But I, I think that the college coaching side, the college recruiting side of things is, is kind of challenging because, you know, in, in the pro level, um, we're not limited by academics. You know, and and uh, that can be a, a pretty key feature, I would say, in college. You know, you got to get your athletes academically in the door. And uh, I think as a coach, you know, I, I, I don't know, Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong, but the NCAA, they might be taking statistics on on athletic programs to see how well you graduate your athletes. 
So um, they they do. Yeah, you key. obviously have those those standards that need to be met, as well as you know your institution is going to give you a standard that they expect. So if the if the ends if you know your division of play has this is their like goal, your institution may want to add on fifteen percent to that. Um, yeah. So there is graduation expectations with that as well. Yeah. So so when you think about it, I mean, obviously. In, in pro baseball, there are evaluations, cognitive evaluations and sports psychology evaluations. But when the bottom line is like to get in the door, you just have to play well, you know, and to advance, you have to be a great player. In college, I think there's just more to the the aspect of, of uh, the academic world that the athlete has to get in the door. And, you know, it's not baseball all the time. They're limited. So in order to have a successful candidate to come into your school, in my opinion, you know, they have to meet the expectations both on and off the field. What about the the time constraints? One, you've got players that could be gone in two years. So you got to get some value out of them. And two, you've got time constraints in terms of training them and developing them. So how how does that change with with a college scout? So one of the ways I always like to look at it was – depending on how short or long-term impact that player was going to be, uh, depending on what our commitment was going to be, is we had to have a good idea. If it's a, if it's a freshman player coming in as a high uh, – just finished high school, they're coming in, we've given this guy money. Is we need, we need to understand, like, what is this guy's expectation? If he's a starting pitcher, are we expecting him to outperform? If we have three returning juniors and our rotation's filled up, is that really the guy we want to invest the money in that we need to pay a ton right now of our scholarship funds, which is just discounted school. It's not actual money, obviously. Um, do we want to invest that fund in there that we might only have him cover 15% of our innings total for, let's just say it's 2022. If he's only going to pitch 15% of our innings in 2022, is he worth you know, 85% of a scholarship? Or would we rather invest that into a left fielder who is going to be a transfer from a junior college or is going to be a freshman that we expect to perform in 60% of our innings. So you really need to start understanding, you know, at the college level is it's, you don't have a minor league system. You need to start producing now. And if you don't produce now, you need to go find another job. Um, you don't have this whole thing of, you know, it's development over winning. Like you need to win right away. And there's a, there's a time for development, but you got to win today. And that's where you got to start really investing and allocating your resources of how much do I expect you to contribute of those of that contribution? Are you part of a winning contribution? And if you are part of that winning contribution, how much money do we really want to invest in that? Um, so that's what you have to kind of kind of consider. And then, you know, depending on the transfer rules of what organization you're with and things like that, if you had a guy that was a walk on that. You know, we had a situation where we had a, you know, a left-hander come in who, you know, he came in, he was 75 miles an hour, but he could spin a breaking ball and he threw strikes, told him, hey, you know, we don't have money for you, but we have a, we have a red shirt spot. Come on, let's go. Came in, we developed him. He got into the, you know, 83 to 86 range, which for our level of play at that time was really good. And he ended up being a huge contributor after he redshirted his freshman year, came back again ac- academically sophomore, uh, athletically, uh, freshman still. He contributed. He was he was pitching our seven-inning game for us every weekend. So he was con- almost going complete games every time. 
So he went from zero money after finishing that two years with the, with the school to where it's like, hey, we can contribute to this kid that we don't know about or we know that this kid that we still have three years of control over, let's give him 50% of a scholarship because we have that money clearing up. They're going to invest in that. So that's the other thing too is you know you, you need to make sure that you're rewarding those guys that are internal with you because you want them to keep coming back and not going, well, I can still transfer to a junior college and then try to go somewhere else after. So you got to make sure you're, you're understanding how you're valuing your internal guys compared to those external guys because you want to make sure you're building that culture as well, you know, which in college culture is huge that I know this is kind of the question, but not the question where it's a little off topic. That's your style, Jordan. That's okay. I'm all over the place. I use the (laughs) shotgun approach. Um, But I told guys like, you know, there's three things when it comes down to picking a school. It's got to fit your social need, your academic need, and your athletic need. If you can find two of those three things in whatever order you want to prioritize them, you're going to be at the right place. If it's not fitting two of those three things, that's not a guy you want to invest money in, and that's not a place you want to give you money. You're going to have a terrible time. Like, who goes somewhere to have a bad time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, that, that's, that's my, uh, my rant on that one, I guess. All right, Ryan, you, you got anything else, or uh, I'm going to wrap this up? No, I think we hit it, man. That was a pretty extensive uh, player evaluation podcast. Awesome. Well, well, let's call it a day. Listen, if yeah, you're listening, took it off the rails at the end, but you know, that that was my plan to throw it in the ditch there, right at the end. So, but <laughs> way um, to go, Bart. You know? Yeah, that's that's my job. But honestly, if if we miss something that that you've got a question about in in this regard or any others, please reach out to us. Um, you know, through the through the podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, check us out there, or go to go over to Arm Care and the support, and just ask a question in the support and say, hey, it's about the podcast or it's about this. And, uh, and we'll either respond to you immediately or which is most likely, but also maybe do a podcast on your questions. So please do that, um, for now. Uh, thank you. And, uh, until next time.